that was awesome worship. Good morning. It's my honor and my privilege to preach this morning on the first Sunday of the year. In fact, the first Sunday of the decade. It's my prayer this morning that this, what I'm going to preach about is going to be a good starting place for us to launch into the year with. So, Father, we just thank you for today. Father, I just pray that you open our ears so that we can hear your word. You open our eyes so that we could see what you have to show us. And that you would open our hearts so we would understand your truth. When I was first asked to preach today, the first thing that popped into my mind was river. There they go. Beautiful sight. We are a nation of rivers. They are important to us. The first people to come to New Zealand used them to work their way across the country. The first European explorers explored the rivers and from there out into the rest of the country. We are a nation of rivers, whether they are braided rivers of the plains or full-flowing rivers up in the mountains. Who here has visited a river so far this summer? These holidays. Yep. Who here plans to? Yep. So that's pretty much all of us. We love rivers. We picnic beside them. We swim in them. We kayak or raft on them. We go jet boating. Every so often, my brother Mike here disappears for the weekend and makes his lovely wife Kim a fishing widow. (laughs) Or is that all button men, Mike? For me, I like to walk up riverbeds. I like to have a look alongside them, see what I can find. An interesting shaped rock, something of pretty colours, um, an interesting shaped stick. Myself and my kids, we've got a nice collection at home of stuff that we found and brought home. In Maori culture, in formal settings, when you introduce yourself, you name your mountain and your river. This is important. It ties you to the land and it shows that you belong. But it's much more than this. Your mountain and your river are connected with your iwi, your tribe. It connects you to your ancestors. By naming them and identifying them, everybody else immediately connects your past, where you come from. Right, they know your culture. For me... My rivers are the Motuaika and the Rewaka rivers. They are the waters that my father dipped me in when I was about three months old, or so family legend tells me. I may have made that up. (laughs) But rivers are also important in the Bible. They are found all through the narratives of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, we find four rivers, the Pishon, the Gihon, and the rivers Tigris and Euphrates. These aren't them, by the way. Uncle Google is not that good. (laughs) We see in the scriptures that they flow from a source inside the garden. They flow out, border the garden, and into the world beyond. They They give the Garden of Eden grounding. They tie it into a known geological foundation. We know these rivers. We know the Tigris. 
We know the Euphrates. They are important rivers. They've been important to human history all the way along. They give the story reality, something that we can immediately connect with. The River Jordan, forever a reference of crossing over. From the Israelites who believed the ten spies and were too afraid to cross over into the promised land until an entire generation of doubters passed away. And only then they could they cross the River Jordan into the promised land, into the triumph that they were promised. A Negro spiritual song, crossing the Jordan as a, ref, as a reference to dying and crossing over into heaven. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, and there we wept, for we remembered Zion. Thanks to Boney M, the rivers of Babylon are forever linked to sorrow and remembering that which was lost. But there's one more river that I want to talk about. It's found in the New Testament. We find it right at the very beginning of the New Testament story, and it flows all through the scriptures, right up, and it's mentioned in the very last in Revelations chapter 22. And it's this river that I want to explore this morning. So we'll start at its source, and we'll slowly make our way downstream. Did anyone receive Christmas cards this year? Does anyone still do Christmas cards? Yes? Did any of them look like these? That's good timing. A nativity scene with Jesus in the wooden manger surrounded by sheep, cattle, donkeys, or shepherds and wise men. It's a beautiful view. It's a lovely Western European view of the nativity. Why do I say that? In Israel, mangers aren't made of wood. Short of a shortage of good woods in Israel. And they weren't exactly made for feeding animals either, although they have been used for that purpose. In Israel, mangers are hollowed out stones. They are found all over Israel. In fact, they are found all over the ancient Near East. We find them placed in stock pens, stables, and beside wells. You can see in the lower picture here where one's actually been built into the, into the wall of the stock pen. So when we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that Jesus was laid in a manger and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. To properly translate that word, into English that we would use every day, we would say, and she laid him in a drinking trough for animals. Why is this important? Am I changing scripture just because I want to? Let's move a bit further down river 
and we'll jump forward in time, about 30 years. Jesus is in his full-blown ministry at this point. He's walking through the area of Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. Can we have the next slide, slide please? He comes to a well where there's a woman drawing water. He sits beside the well and he asks the woman for a drink. Can you please give me a drink of water? The woman's a bit taken back at this point. Jews despise Samaritans, right? There's a whole history there, which is a whole other sermon. For a Jew to ask a Samaritan for something isn't done. For a Jewish rabbi to ask a Samaritan woman for something, that is beyond bounds. And the woman says so. And when the woman points this out, Jesus replies to her with these words. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this will thirst again, meaning the well water. But he who drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. That water will give him that water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. Jesus, sitting beside a well. And what do we find beside wells? Stone mangers. A stone manger, a drinking trough for animals. And he's saying he is the source of living water, a soul-quenching water that will fill you and will sustain you and you will never thirst again. Can you see the symmetry here? I still get shivers down the back of my spine when I first link these two together. Jesus, the baby at birth, laid in a drinking trough. 30 years later, sitting on a drinking trough beside a well, offering living water. Now let's head a bit further downstream. Couple of weeks. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus is now in Jerusalem. It's at the time of the Feast of Booths. Also known as the Feast of Sukkot. It's the major harvest festival in the Jewish calendar. And it goes something like this. I'll read it to make sure I get it right. The shofar was blown, and the pilgrims who came to Jerusalem for the feast waved their lulus as the priests carried the water around the altar. The great Hillel, that psalm 113 to 118, were recited. Then the priest on duty poured out the contents of the two silver bowls. One held water, the other held wine. This was on the third day of the great ceremony. It was the rite of the water liberation. Now, this is the third day. On the first day, the priest... On the first morning of the Sukkot 
procession of priests, they went down to the pool of Siloam. And they brought back to the temple a golden container with enough water in it to last for seven days. Could you imagine how big that container would be to last for seven days? It was quite a procession. The water, the water was brought up with an act of prayer and an expression of dependence on, on, on God to pour out his blessing of rain upon the earth. On the last, or the great day of the feast, the, the water liberation reached its climax. The priest circled the altar seven times and then poured out the water with great pomp and ceremony over the altar. And it's in this context, with Jesus in the temple, and some theologians say it's at that at this exact point that Jesus stands up and says, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow within him. Again, Jesus is the baby laid in a drinking trough. 30 years later, sitting on a drinking trough, describing himself as a source of living water. And now at a feast, thanking God for the rain, he stands up and declares, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. If you believe in me, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The Pharisees must have gone nuts. I mean, could you imagine it? So I, if you're looking for a definitive I am God statement from Jesus, I don't think you can go much past this one. Just imagine what it would have been like if they learnt that Jesus actually said this to a Samaritan woman first. It's an interesting side tip. Jesus offers living water to the Samaritans first and then the Jews, and then to all the rest of us. Could be a thing there, you know. Let's jump to the end. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. John is writing of a vision that he has of heaven. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And who's the Lamb of God? Jesus. Jesus sitting in heaven, and from his throne is coming a river of living water. And John goes on to describe how it flows down the street and on either side of the 12 trees of life. And it's meant for the healing of the nations. Just to hammer it home, Jesus, the baby laid in a drinking trough, Jesus, the man sitting on a drinking trough, offering life-giving water, at a celebration thanking God for rain, decreeing himself the source of life-giving water, 
Now we see him sitting on the throne in heaven from which that same river streams. The river of the water of life. So I hope I've I hope I've shown you the source of this river. Right? The source I hope I've shown you that Jesus is the source of the greatest river of all, the river of life that flows from him to all of us and through us who believe in him. We are a part of that flow, but we are also a channel for that flow. If I could have the music team come up, please. That river of life, it doesn't come to us. It doesn't come to us to stop with us just to fill us up. Jesus clearly says that we are meant to pass it on to others. There's a song I learned at kindergarten and at at a Sunday school at this very church from some very wise ladies who are in this church today. We don't sing it much these days, but it goes something like this. There's a river of life coming out from me. Makes the deaf to hear and the blind to see. Makes the lame to walk and sets the captives free. There's a river of life flowing out from me. Everybody now, there's a river. No, okay. Jeez, I want to... Sorry. My kids are now cringing. We are to be a source of living water, thirst-quenching, life-giving water to a dry and thirsty world around us. Water that not only cleanses us, but heals us revives us, strengthens us, and empowers us. How could we do anything else but pass this water on to those around us if we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour? So now, what do we do with this knowledge? There'll be two people here this morning listening to this. Maybe today you've had your eyes opened. You've caught a glimpse of the fresh, clean, life-giving water. And you've come to an understanding about it first that you didn't really know you had. Something inside you is responding to the offer Jesus is making you today of life-giving water. And if that's you today, I see these heads bowed and eyes closed. I just ask you to raise your hand to indicate that you'd like to accept this. And then during the last, and I'll lead you in a uh, prayer of salvation. So we just get a couple of minutes.
for that, we can pray for you through refreshing of this gift of water, through releasing the breaking of the dam inside you, so that you can go on from today into the rest of this year, into the rest of this decade, knowing that Jesus is the source of everything, knowing that Jesus is the source of life-giving water that is going to sustain you, not just today, tomorrow, this year, but for this decade and for the decades to come.